0: This is episode number 96 of Excuse Me, That's Illegal, the podcast that takes a hardcore look gets some softcore crimes. I'm your boy Leroy, coming at you straight out of the closet with a couple stories that have interesting items left at the crime scene. We've covered a couple of these before. I remember one dude that broke into a garage and left his teeth there. Who does that? And another guy smacked a woman at a bus stop. He took off so fast he forgot his homework at the scene. Homework from the anger management class he was going to. Idiot. You can't make this stuff up. Well, you can. But on this show, it's all real, baby. I recently got a review over on Apple Podcasts from a Bostonian called DK Niner. It was titled, Boston. And they say, That is not a Boston accent. No one in Boston says Boston. Or coffee. That's more like a Long Island or Joisy accent. LOL. Yeah, I can't remember what episode that was, but I do remember someone was from Boston, and I was just messing around with it. Hey, I don't claim to be an expert on anything really, but especially not accents. I also do pretty lame Australian and British voices. Thankfully they don't call me out on it. So go park the car and take a hike, DK Niner. Just kidding, I don't mind the criticism. I mean, you coupled it with a five-star review, so I can't be that mad at you. You could insult my mother, and I wouldn't mind as long as you attach five stars to it. Sorry, Mom. Just spitting facts. Speaking of mama insults, let's get a Yo Mama joke in, then move on with the show. My kids really enjoy these lately, and their favorite goes a little something like this. Yo Mama is so fat, she went to McDonald's, and they had to call Wendy for backup. (laughs) Alright everybody, hop in the minivan and let's cruise these suburban streets as I serenade you with a couple tales of low-level true crime. And don't worry my friends, I promise not to leave anyone or anything behind. Episode number 96 Making a Scene. I have a very inconvenient memory. I can't control the stuff I remember. What did I have for breakfast this morning? Can't recall. But I do know that Polly Shore is 5 feet 7.5 inches tall. So that's useful. What are my plans this weekend? I forget. That's okay though, because I still know my childhood friend Dylan's phone number 430 3883. Haven't talked to that guy since 1994. Maybe it's a long-short thing. My long-term memory is impeccable, but my short-term, well, that could use some work. Perhaps like me, the perpetrators in today's cases also have terrible short-term memories, because what they leave behind at the scene of their crimes will blow your mind. Okay. Our first story takes us to Dorchester, Massachusetts. Dorchester is actually a suburb of Boston. Oh boy, here we go. Now I'm in trouble. We're back in Boston, baby. Park the car. I need to go grab a coffee. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to know Dorchester a little better via a snippet from an article from bostonuniversity.edu. And they say, Encompassing just over six square miles, Dorchester is Boston's largest neighborhood. It is also arguably the city's most diverse, home to nearly a quarter of the city's population, including Irish, Polish, Vietnamese, and African American residents, as well as a large Caribbean and Cape Verdean community. Founded in 1630, months before the establishment of Boston, it is also steeped in history. End quote. Right on, and I'm sure it is, and we're adding to that rich history here with this crazy crime. So let's travel back to June twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen. It's a Monday, and it's late, just slightly before midnight. Zachary Tentoni, Tony, a twenty six year old petty scumbag, can be seen skulking around the neighborhood, hoping and wishing and praying for an opportunity to arise, and it will. But let's slow it down for a moment. Get to know Zachary. I described him as a petty scumbag, and I don't just toss those kind of accusations around for no reason. Zachary has had prior dealings with police first degree criminal mischief, fourth degree larceny. Uh, A couple months later, in April, he was charged with sixth degree larceny. And on June 10th, so just 14 days before this incident we're about to get into, he was busted for illegally operating a motor vehicle under a suspended license. My stomach's growling a lot. Hopefully you guys can't hear that on the mic. So our boy Zachary here seems to think rules are for fools. He's tall, skinny, kind of dopey looking. And he doesn't live in Dorchester. He's actually from Southington, Connecticut. He's in town on business, I guess you could say. And business is booming as he spots a young lady exiting the field's corner station. This is a transit station. Trains coming and going out of here. Lots of different bus connections and whatnot. So this gal is walking home from the train station. Like I mentioned earlier, it's late at this point, and she just wants to get home. So to save some time, she cuts through a schoolyard. Now this place is called Harbor Middle School, and it's located at 18 Croftland Avenue. A little info about this school, it's just 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. 287 students enrolled there with 24 full-time teachers on staff. That's a 12 to 1 ratio of students to teachers. Why'd I give you that information? Not too sure, as it's completely irrelevant. It's midnight. All the students are nestled in their beds right now. Know what I'm saying? So this gal cuts through the schoolyard. She's walking briskly. It's dark. And that's when she's approached from behind by Zachary. It's a Zach attack. He snags her purse and tries to yank it out of her hands. And he's successful in doing so. He caught this young lady off guard, stole her purse, and just like that, he takes off like a thief in the night. Thankfully, she still has her cellular phone, so she makes a call to police, and she waits for them to arrive on the scene. Her purse, jeez, I hate saying she, her, young lady. Let's just call her Deborah to make it easier. Probably should have done that from the start. Oh, well. Deborah's purse contained her wallet, her ID, 40 buckaroos, and her Charlie card, which is a reusable ticket, or like a monthly pass for the bus. He stole her bus pass and 40 bucks, basically. Not a bad score. We've seen worse. When police arrive, they know it's going to be tough to catch this guy. Deb got a decent look at him, but it was dark. Chances are usually slim in getting an arrest here, but thankfully, Zachary is a dumbass. In the struggle to snag the purse from Deborah, he let go of the two bags he was carrying and left them there right at the scene. Police search the first bag and find some clothing, a pair of shoes, and some hygiene products. I'm assuming deodorant, toothbrush, that sort of thing. Remember, Zach is an out-of-towner, so he was likely staying at a friend's or something like that. When police search the second bag, they hit the jackpot. They find the smoking gun. Oh yeah, baby. This bag actually contains Zachary's birth certificate and a note that was mailed to him from his mother. Ooh, Zach, you screwed. Now they have his name and a good description of him, also his mother's address from the letter. This is going to be easy. And they spot a guy matching Zachary's description just a block away. This is around 1.35 a.m. Police ask the man his name, and he's no dummy. He gives them a fake one. He goes, oh, hey, officers. My name is John Foyze from Connecticut. They ask him what year he was born, and he says 1993, which would make him only 20. Zach was actually born in 1987. They bring Deborah over, and she says, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. And when he's presented with the note from his mom and his birth certificate, that's when Zachary knows he is dead in the water. Zachary Tentoni, a.k.a. America's Dumbest Thief. Don't know if I agree with that title. But he's definitely in the running. And he is charged with one count of unarmed robbery. Love it. You know who else loves it? The people in the Daily Mail comment section. Costanero from Baghdad says, Yup, dumber than a box of rocks. Agreed. Rick says, Way to go, doofus. Duh. Nino from Colorado adds, It is almost so pathetic, you will feel sorry for him. Or not really. He needs to be locked up. Mm hmm. Oh, I like this one. Happy Dude says, Am I the only one who wants to know what the note from his mom said? Was it something along the lines of, Dear Zachary, for the love of God, please be good? Yeah, you ain't the only one, Happy Dude. Unfortunately, I couldn't find that info. But Claus from the Arctic Circle takes a stab at it. Zachary won't be in school today. He has to rob someone. Signed, Zachary's mom. You know, that's probably not too far off. Well, that was a fun one. Now we're going to switch gears from an easily solved case to one that remains an unsolved mystery. Sorry, I couldn't buy the rights to the actual theme song, so that'll have to do. Uh, for this story, we are traveling to the Isles of Scilly. They are an archipelago, which means a group of small islands just off the southwestern coast of England, mates! Jolly good Simply Silly C O dot UK has a brilliant description of this beautiful destination. The Isles of Scilly are like nowhere else in England. Outstandingly beautiful, uncrowded and unspoilt. They lie just off the coast of Cornwall, but seem like a world apart. Life moves at an easier pace. Everyone who visits the Isles of Scilly falls in love. You might not be able to put your finger on it right away, or it may be a mixture of emotions. But either way, we know that when you arrive, you will have the time of your life. And when it's time to go, you'll leave yearning for more. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? And with a population of just 2,200 people and the slower laid-back pace, this is not a place that sees very much crime, and that is an understatement. I was reading an article in The Independent from April of 2015, a few months after our story takes place, and they were in the midst of recruiting an officer into their very tiny police department. There was Sergeant Colin Taylor leading a crew of just four officers. He was also working with Matt Crow and Shirley Graham. That's all there was policing the islands after one of their squad members left. Sarge Colin Taylor said he was looking for someone with, quote an unflinching confidence to know what to do when you are alerted to an abandoned seal pup making its way up the main street, and an acceptance that at 6.15pm, you will be handed an item of lost property while off duty in the co-op, queuing for the till with both arms laden. End quote. Sarge is quite the character, and while I didn't fully understand that last part, I'm sure it was hilarious. While it sounds like an easy gig, you do have to be a jack-of-all-trades. Sarge, quote, We're detectives, traffic, licensing, shotguns, youth intervention, everything. End quote. They've even acted as witnesses at a wedding and took photographs. What a gig. And to get an idea of the lack of crime in this island paradise, this article came out April 20th. 420, man. That's almost one-third of the way into the year. And a grand total of five crimes had been reported so far. They have a police station with two jail cells in it, and one was being used to store a Christmas tree. That's wild. They've received cards from people who were being held in those cells, who thanked them for making an unpleasant experience less painful. So yeah, this is a good, wholesome place. Anywho, let's get into this very simple, yet complicated crime, which happened Sunday, January 11th, 2015. This was more than likely the first one committed of the new year. The crime itself is not much to speak of, but what's left at the scene is what makes it such a delicious mystery. It happened in the storage shed at the school, Isles of Silly, shockingly has just one school. It goes from kindergarten all the way through high school and is called the Five Islands Academy. Isles of Silly is made up of five different islands, hence the name. The school shed out back is owned by the local football club, or soccer, depending on what part of the world you're in, and it was broken into. Let's hear about it from a police spokesman. Quote, Somebody had forced open the door to the shed at the playing field, most probably to get a football out. Regrettably, however, the door was damaged in the process. There are few clues as to how this came to happen, other than a fried egg was left at the scene. We are just looking for the person responsible to own up, and this can all be dealt with quite amicably, which is the request of the shed owners, end quote. Yep, so pretty basic. Someone or someones broke into the shed to grab a football to kick around. It's got a wooden door, and that wood was partially bent back, pried open for them to sneak in. And yes, you heard that right. The only lead they have to go on is a fried egg was left at the scene, just chilling in the grass right in front of the door. Not a raw egg with a broken shell that was thrown at the shed in an act of vandalism. A fried egg. There's actually a picture of one of these detectives bent over, pointing at the egg. Pretty funny. And yes, I'm aware of the fact that if there's no egg, nobody gives a shit about this crime. Well, maybe the football club. But it's certainly not making the papers. Or this podcast, for that matter. Eh, nah, who am I kidding? I'd probably still cover it. No crimes too small for this guy. Size does not matter over here. Getting back to this mystery, what is the meaning of the egg? Is it simply just a red herring put there by the perpetrator to mislead detectives? To get everyone focused on the egg instead of other factors in the scene? Kind of silly, though, because without this egg, no one would be talking about the crime anyways. So why bother misleading everyone? Or better yet, why draw attention to this petty crime? Was this done by a criminal mastermind who leaves eggs behind as their calling card? Likely not, as this happened over eight years ago and no other crimes with eggs at the scene were committed, at least none that were reported on. My theory is, a few teenagers were bored, it is a small town after all, and they wanted to play some football, some footy, so they went to the shed at their school to snag one. One of the dopey teens, just so happened to be eating a fried egg sandwich at the time, hadn't taken a bite yet, and it slid right out from between the two slices of bread, rendering it uneatable. And once they stole the football, they just left the egg there. It's a small enough town that they could have canvassed the neighborhood, asking if any mothers or fathers had made fried eggs for their sons or daughters that Sunday. They also could have checked in with the local grocery store. There's probably only one of them and asked if any suspicious-looking characters purchased eggs recently. But they would have had to do that, like, right away, on that day. Too much time has passed now. Sloppy police work, if you ask me. They didn't say what time this crime occurred, but my guess is early in the morning, just after or during breakfast time. So much time has passed that I'm not sure if we'll ever get an answer here, which is unfortunate, but I'm still holding out hope. I'm not privy to the ins and outs of the justice system over there on the aisles of Silly. But surely the statute of limitations has run out on this one. There'd be no punishment if someone fessed up. So maybe one day when the perp gets a little tipsy at the local watering hole, they'll spill the beans. A crime this high profile? It'd be hard to keep it to yourself. Someone's going to want to brag about it. There were uh, some comments left on an article done by Needorama, Rama, a very legit news source, I'm sure. And a couple of them were worth repeating. The first one was from Patty, and she cries, I'm amazed that anyone bothered to report it. This is Britain, where the majority of people don't report petty crime, as they know the police will do absolutely nothing about it. The only reason for reporting burglary or car theft is to get a crime number for your insurance. There was little hope of the police bothering to do anything. Okay. Not sure if that's true, but anywho, the next comment is a work of art. Sandy Raw has given the assailant a nickname and everything. It was the Yokester. He's just a shell of a man, though. He's not a hardened criminal, yet, since that yoke was still runny. There is a sunny side about this crime, though. His brains weren't scrambled during the getaway, even though the cops did see the whites of his eyes. They expect to capture the Yokester soon before he becomes a hard boiled criminal. Sandy Raw. If I ever need to hire a writer for the show, which I won't, the job is yours. Your pun game is on point. And just to add to that before we wrap this up, it's a shame this case has never been cracked. With the evidence on the scene and all, personally, I thought the case would be solved quickly. And the mystery would be over easy. And we are back. That's a wrap on episode number 96, Making a Scene. There are so many strange crime scene stories for us to get to. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I will keep going back to this well as many times as possible. Because, well, I love it. As always, I want to thank Steffi for voicing the disclaimer, the operator for providing that sweet, sweet theme music, and my boo for editing the first 95 episodes. I'm not a very techy guy, so I relied on my wife for the editing for far too long. And it was a pain in the ass for her. I mean, I don't help her out with her hobbies. I'm not helping her knit a scarf every 10 days. That'd be terrible. So, you know, it was kind of getting selfish on my part, using her skills for my benefit. So I finally bit the bullet. I recorded her editing the podcast, asked her a bunch of questions, made a video of it that I'll now refer to every time I edit till I get the hang of it, which is probably never. But you know what? I struggled a bit, but I actually edited this whole episode all by myself. And I'll do so going forward. It actually feels nice to now say I do the entire process myself. Researching, writing, recording, editing, crying. I'm also the director and producer of the show. What other useless titles can I give myself? I'm the CEO of the company, the captain of the ship. Yep, I'm a pretty big deal around these parts. Anywho, that's enough of that. You know what time it is? Listener confession time, baby. So let's get criminal, criminal. I wanna get criminal. Beautiful. This email comes in from a listener named Kevin, and he says, Hey, Leroy, love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Ah, thanks, Kev. And yes, I will continue to serve up mediocre content, and that's a promise. Anywho, he goes on to say, my name's Kevin. He put Kevin in air quotes and added a winky face after, which leads me to believe that Kevin is an alias. Okay, he goes, I have something I need to get off my chest. You've said in the past that when we send in our confessions to you, we are absolved of all our sins and all is forgiven and forgotten. I hope you're right about that. I've never told this to anyone before because of the shame and embarrassment I feel. I was very shy growing up. And as you can imagine, that didn't help me much in the lady department. Hello. I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was 21. Me and this woman started chatting online for about a year. We had fallen for each other. We spent many all-nighters just talking to each other and laughing. We had a real connection. Yeah, an internet connection. (laughs) Uh, Finally, we decided to meet face-to-face and go on a real date in person crazy, right? I felt a lot of pressure seeing as I had never kissed a girl before. I didn't know if my lips should be wet or dry, which way to tilt my head, how to breathe, do I use my tongue? It was all so confusing. These are basic things I should have known already, that come from experience, which I was clearly lacking. So as I was getting ready, I looked over at the family dog, Daisy. Oh, no, not <laughs> Where is this going? And that's when the idea hit me. What's the harm in getting a little practice in, right? Yep, I practiced my kissing with Daisy. Very creepy, and I'm ashamed. She didn't seem to mind though, but she didn't know what was happening, so I feel like I took advantage of her. It did sort of work out in my favor, as my date went great. And when I leaned in for a smooch as I dropped her off at home, I felt confident in my abilities, thanks to Daisy. It went great, and my date, We'll call her Linda. She was much less aggressive than Daisy and much less slobbery. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how good it feels to get that off my chest. I feel like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. And Leroy, I assure you, that was the one and only time I ever kissed Daisy. Please tell me I'm forgiven. I beg of you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thanks for that, Kevin. And hey, we all experiment, right? And I believe one makeout sesh with your dog is fine. We all get one, okay? Any more than that, and you're getting into some dangerous territory. And only hugs and kisses, please. I know a lot of people that kiss their dogs or let them lick their faces, you know, like in an innocent way. And it's fine. Uh, you, you kicked it up a notch, right? You were kind of making out with Daisy. So, <laughs> so that is a little creepy. <laughs> but Kev, as I promised, you are now forgiven. One question, though. Who was the better kisser, Daisy or Linda? By the sounds of it, it was Daisy. That's how I likes it, aggressive and sloppy. <laughs> Alright, excuse me, that's illegal, at gmail.com is the email. Send in your petty crime confessions or your romantic pet stories, apparently. And just like our boy Kevin here, you too could have your story played on the air. Patreon. If you sign up right now, you can get ad-free episodes along with some neat bonus content for the price of a Big Mac a month. Do you guys see they have Big Macs made with chicken now? Not sure how I feel about that. I'll report back to you uh, when I try one, probably this weekend. Patreon, PayPal, TikTok, Instagram, and blah, blah, blah can all be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening, my friends, and for the continued support. I appreciate all of you, even you, DK Niner all the way out there in Boston, drinking that coffee. All right, I'll see you all in 10 days, and I'll have my chef hat on and be happy to serve you up another hearty helping of softcore scumbaggery with a smile on my face. Until then, peace.